Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, the comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Alexis Gay is our guest. She is fantastic. Really love the chat we have. But before we get to that, a couple of things to talk about. The New South Comedy Festival starts today and... For you longtime listeners, you know that that is the festival that is run by the Alchemy Comedy Theater, which is where I got my start in improv in Greenville, South Carolina. And they went virtual this year because of COVID. The festival runs tonight through the 15th, so check it out. I'm in it. I'm uh, on two different teams that are featured. One is Boyf, the indie team that Justina and I are on, girlfriend of the show. And that is Friday night at 9 p.m. And my Magnet House team, Sweetheart, is on Saturday at 7.30. So check those out. And a class that I was very delighted to get to teach, a 503 stand-up class, is also going to be on. They are on tomorrow night. So go to NewSouthComedy.com to find out everything about the New South Festival. On to today's episode, I had a really great time chatting with today's guest, Alexis Gay. She is a person of comedy, but she does a ton of other things. We talk about all of it. She offers so much great wisdom. I can't wait for you to hear this. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Alexis Gay. I'm so excited to talk. Me too. You are currently on the East Coast, but you currently were physically, living in yes. San Francisco, right? That's where you That's were correct. for a little bit. But you're originally from New York. I'm from Connecticut originally. Oh, Connecticut, is, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you went to school in New York. Yep. And then you moved out at some point to San Francisco. You've done a ton in the business world. I started my career in New York uh, having just graduated college, and I went to work at a tech startup. Mm-hmm. That was a strategic decision because I, uh, as an intern, I was going to be able to have a flexible working arrangement such that if I wanted to go on acting auditions, I could. So that was a choice born out of wanting to work somewhere that sounded cool because I had friends who worked in tech Mm -hmm. and they got to be themselves and have snacks and the company (laughs) bought them beer. I was like, oh my God, you get to like work, but also have fun. That sounds great. Um, But I still was really interested in pursuing acting. So I Mm -hmm. was like, this is great. I can, you know, audition flexibly. And then as soon as I got to work at this tech startup, I fell head over heels in love with entrepreneurship and with having control over my own success and with the fact that if you wanted more responsibility and more to do, all you had to do was raise your hand. Even as an intern, they'd be like, hey, can anyone do this thing? I'd be like, I will do the thing. And they were like, intern, you do the thing now. You know, like that had never happened to me before, especially from an artistic perspective, especially as a young actor where you are just waiting for someone to pick you, to say, yes, you look the part. Yes, you are the part. And mm-hmm. entrepreneurship in tech, especially at a young six-month-old six company like I had joined, totally the opposite experience. And I fell into that world and absolutely loved it. And what ultimately 
made me leave New York was wanting to go further into tech. And that's why I moved after three years to San Francisco. Wow. And how long have you been there? I've been in SF for four years now. Wow. I know. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. None of my friends can believe it either. (laughs) I moved to New York three and a half years ago. And this year makes it feel like I'm, uh, you know, another couple of years have passed. But it's still sort of like, wow, that much time has passed since moving here. It's insane. wild. (laughs) I know. I can't believe it. I think back on the fact that four years is such an interesting amount of time to spend somewhere because you typically spend four years in high school, four years in college, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, I did like this four-year chunk in San Francisco. And where I go next is sort of a TBD because I no one knows what the world is going to look like in the future. But I feel really... I'm just really happy I was able to spend the amount of time that I did there and and further my career specifically in the business and tech space, which is what I went out there to do. Yeah. I love San Francisco. It's my favorite mm-hmm. city, I, I think, next to uh, New York now. It used to be my number one, but I love New York so much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they dropped. I get that. I get that. <laughs> but, I mean, San Francisco's fantastic. It's a lovely place. Really uh, great place. And I have a cousin who lives here. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. But you you came out here for work stuff. Uh, you came back mm-hmm. to New York for that, and um, you you currently work at Patreon. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm actually not I'm not technically here for work, though. I do. Uh, uh, Patreon does have an office both in San Francisco and in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm here because my mom lives in Florida, and I want to spend the rest of the year with her. By coming to New York, I'm actually going to be able to drive down there, which feels like this a much a safer, more responsible way to get to her. Yes. Oh, that's great. And got to protect the moms. Yes. You know. Absolutely. Oh well, that's really sweet. I like. Uh, that's a really nice story. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Of course. I mean, also, I'm a big rule follower. <laughs> Me so. too. <laughs> really? Yay! Oh gosh. <laughs> Yeah, even when it's the sort of stuff that everyone everyone else is like, this is one we can kind of skip over. I'm like, it's the rule. I but know. It's, it's like, but they said to do it. <laughs> we have to do it. I it's like, who's they? It's like, I don't know, but they said it. <laughs> it's just the thing you're supposed to do, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they have Precisely. it there for a reason. When it comes to what you're doing at Patreon, yes, the things that you were mentioning about being able to control your mm. destiny, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's exactly how you worded it. That, <laughs> but I feel like all of that culminates in where you're at now, where you are you're such a mover and shaker because you're operating in these different worlds and you've mm. you've got this YouTube that's successful and you're you're successful on social media and you are controlling your own destiny with that, right? Mm. I mean that that's what that world is you're saying i'm not going to wait for somebody to hire me i'm going to make my own work and put it out there and then to work at patreon which works so much with creatives who are in that Mm -hmm. world is a really interesting dynamic it is it, it truly has been a really fascinating few years in particular because i didn't start doing comedy until i got to san francisco which is unusual Yeah. To go from New York and then to start doing comedy in SF. But, but that to is be a great honest, town for comedy. Oh, great town for comedy. But 
you know, one of the reasons I think I never pursued it in New York is a, I was terrified and Mm. B I felt like there were all these people around me doing it professionally for real. And I didn't feel comfortable in that space. I was like, Oh, these are, these people are doing it very real. You all do that. I'll just go back to my, you know, computer. And then when I got to San Francisco, I felt a little, I, I felt the, the, um, I felt the lack of, I don't want to say San Francisco has a lack of culture, but it has less arts and less culture than New York. And so I started to feel that a little bit after I got there. And I thought a way for me to sort of fill that void would be to do comedy myself. So I started taking improv classes. So I, Mm -hmm. I got into it because I was like, I really miss being in a space surrounded by creative people. And so I went and I did improv comedy. But what's interesting about your point on power and my career in tech is that the internet is in the last, let's say like seven years, um, has done so seven to 10 years has done so many incredible things for creators in terms of distribution, finding and building an audience, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been in 2010, you know, we didn't talk about people earning a living as YouTubers. We didn't talk about podcasters earning a living. You know, these were not things you, you did for money or things you did seriously. They were little hobbies you had on the weekend. And in the last 10 years, uh, for better or for worse, and there's a lot of for worse, (laughs) but for better or for worse, we've seen these platforms create audiences for creators. Um, I'm thinking especially of a platform like YouTube, which obviously is very algorithmically driven. So as a creator there, you can find an audience. YouTube will show your videos to people. It will help you find an audience. Mm-hmm. Twitter enables you to find an audience through, uh, you know, the, the nature of sharing and retweeting. And so it's, uh, you know, you one person shares it to their 100 followers and then several of them share it to their 1000 followers and so on and so forth. And it's so cool to me to see because the reason I didn't want to pursue an artistic or creative career in the first place, why I went into the tech space was, oh, I want to be in charge of my own success. And then in that time over the last seven years, the internet has sort of caught up and said, hey, guess what? Now you can be. Yeah. So cool. It is. It is very cool. And also, you know, people, it was, it seems like it was around 10 years ago, maybe a little less when I first started hearing about, it was a musician who was fed up with the industry, but he still wanted to make music. So Mm -hmm. he, instead of going through iTunes and all this stuff, he was putting his music up on his website Mm -hmm. and he didn't have physical CDs. He would give you a car. Like if you gave him 10 bucks, he'd give you basically a gift card for 10 bucks to his online shop. And that was the way his fans could support Mm -hmm. him. And Patreon makes it even easier by digitizing it and saying, hey, fan base, if you want to support me, you could do it here. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that was just not a thing before. Not at all a thing. And I don't even know if it was a concept back then other than if someone made it and got famous. Because then they're getting acting roles or whatever, and they can then get a a regular paycheck. But Mm. people people who are making a lot of work now, content or, or art or whatever people want to call it, there were people doing that 10, 15, 20 years ago. They just didn't have the avenues to get supported like they do now. And that's such a great thing. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's mission critical, I think. And it's interesting because artists and creatives historically have always had a really interesting relationship with getting paid. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, um, this idea of selling out, 
right. is very real. And it's interesting because that accusation is often levied by the very fans who claim to support them. Right. It was uh, they, a, a you know, they did a car thing, commercial. Yeah. They sold out. Yeah. And it's like they the got band a major you love. label. <laughs> right. It's like the band you love and have supported for six years is now getting paid. They can now go pay their rent. Like right. that should they be celebrated and table. should be a, Exactly. But we, I think, as people have imposed this this purity test on artists where we're mm-hmm. like, well, if they're not just in it to create, then I don't want to be a part of it. And it's like they're not going to make money to feed themselves if right. we if we consider it like that. And then you have this idea of patronage, which mm-hmm. is born from, of course, like being a patron of the arts several hundred years ago, um, supporting art for art's sake. And what I actually think we're headed toward and what I know that Patreon uh where we at Patreon want to go toward is much more towards this idea of membership, which feels more like a value for value exchange because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be that as a comedian or as a creative or any other type of artist, you have to, you have to beg, you have to have your hand out like, Hey, like if you want to chip in, mm-hmm. which I, and I understand why a lot of people take that approach. That's like what we're used to, what we've been conditioned to expect. Mm-hmm. But if you're putting something of value out there into the world, it should become okay for you to say, for $5 a month, you get an extra episode of my podcast every week. Mm. That's not to say that content as a whole should go behind a paywall. I would actually right. never recommend that. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's to- we're going to, we have seen, especially at Patreon, and we will continue to see, I hope, more and more creators taking ownership over the fact that what they're creating has value and putting a price tag on that so that they can be supported by their fans it financially supported by their fans and their relationship with those fans instead of having to get into potentially compromising situations with maybe brands they don't align with or be reliant on totally unreliable stuff like YouTube ad revenue, which in an instant, if they change their algorithm, your whole financial structure could be thrown off. That's happened to so many people too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I think Facebook is also guilty of uh, changing the algorithm and it people off and what they can do and, it's... Well, they they did that so that now you have to pay to promote your posts because mm. Facebook and YouTube are are ad funded uh, platforms. So like their customer, their their stakeholder at the end of the day is an ad, mm. is the advertiser, and you yeah. contrast that with something like Patreon or other platforms where the customer is the creator, mm-hmm. and you start to see oh well now we really know who these platforms are building for. You know, YouTube uh, is going to build a platform that helps it make money. Of course it is. It's a for-profit company that Mm -hmm. wants to make money and they make money from their advertisers. So that's why I am excited to see creators have a means of independent revenue Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I think that independence is the key to really maintaining creative control, which at the end of the day, like if you don't have the flexibility to keep growing as a creative, I worry that that's what leads to burnout and that's what leads to that feeling of like, I have to fit into this box, which I can almost guarantee is why 0% of artists got into making art. Right. Yeah. I mean, there is a thing that I've noticed when people are, uh, I mean, you mentioned burnout. I've noticed people who were trying to do the video a day or whatever, and Mm -hmm. they either burn out and stop doing it Mm -hmm. or... You can tell they were out of ideas. It was like they jumped the shark. It was like the new age way <laughs> of jumping the shark. They just didn't have any ideas and they were just throwing anything out there. Yep. And, you know, I think I think this idea that you have to do it every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these people are doing it alone. Yeah. So it's that's not sustainable. And Agreed. if they if they start making a bunch of money, 
then they feel even more so like, well, I have to do this every day, but they're, that's going to dry up and they're yeah. going to stop making that money, you know? Mm-hmm. So you really, the reason I know somebody will say like, well, Seth Meyers does a show every day and Jimmy Fallon does it. They have 14 <laughs> writers. Seriously. <laughs> and a giant production staff. Yes. <laughs> I, w- I was watching a Hot Ones the other day and, you know, it's a guy asking questions and they're eating hot wings. You would think yep. they don't need a big team, but then you look at the credits and it's yep. like a hundred people. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it's it's not as simple behind the scenes as it may look. And trying to do mm-hmm. something every day is a your heart's in the right place, but find what altitude you can coast at because that's yeah. it's it's a long game. I've actually done that before for a defined period of time. So I've mm-hmm. done like a video every day for 30 days. It's actually how I got into making videos. Mm-hmm. I had uh, left my previous job prior to Patreon and I took time off before figuring out what I wanted to do next because to be honest, I was feeling really unfulfilled by working for a, a fantastic tech company, but there was no connection to creativity or entertainment. And I felt mm-hmm. very that just like that angst of you go to work and you're like, Ooh, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And I took time off and I was like, well, I simply cannot watch another full season of Netflix in a day. So I need a project. (laughs) So I assigned myself a project. I said, I'm going to learn how to make videos. I'm going to make a video every day for 30 days. Okay. And what I loved about that project and what I do love about the kind of intensity of saying, I'm going to do this every day is the guardrails that it puts up for you. And it forces you to publish. And as, mm-hmm. a, as a creative or putting on my like as a creator hat for a second, I love having guardrails and accountability mm-hmm. because it actually makes me, I find, I come up with more creative ideas. So when I started that project, I was like, well, where should I put these videos? And I was like, to be honest, I don't really need anyone to see them. This is kind of for me. So I made a private Instagram account and I let my best friend and my boyfriend at the time follow it. I was like, you two are in welcome to this. (laughs) I'm sorry. Or I'm thank you. Or you're welcome. Or I don't know, but just get ready. And, um, at the time, Instagram, you could only upload one minute of video content. So I was like, Mm -hmm. perfect. I'm going to make a one minute video every day. And then I was like, well, I'm not working. So I don't want to spend a bunch of money, which means everything I do is going to be on my phone. Great. Mm -hmm. Now we know that. You know what I mean? It was like I had all these kind of guardrails in place just by nature of my situation, not wanting Mm -hmm. to spend a lot of money and having like almost zero skills. Like I used to make comedy videos when I was like 12 or 13. But come on. I mean, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but (laughs) I had YouTube. You can learn anything you want to know on YouTube, by the way. If you ever like it's so wild. That's what I did. I was like (laughs) every day I figured out a video concept and uh, so many of them are so not good. And it just delights (laughs) me because. I, if you look at the first one and then you look at the 30th one, I see how much better I got at just kind of like the muscle of it. And I'm glad I only did it for 30 days because it was super intense. It's all I did all day, basically, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I like having those guardrails. I don't think that would have been sustainable for me to continue, but it did help me skill build over a defined period of time. Mm. Are you a Capricorn by any chance? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. So there's so much that you're saying. It's like 
she must be a Capricorn. That's because so funny. I have a couple of friends, a couple of people who've been on the podcast who talk a lot about astrology, and they're always like, Capricorn energy, Jason. And I'm like, okay. And now I am identifying what they point out in me and you. That's funny. <laughs> I'm serving a strong Capricorn energy right now. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's great. What I love about I love that. that idea of putting up a video a day and it was behind, it was a private thing. Yeah. That's a really good practice for getting the green off of you, going mm -hmm. through it without putting it out there and right. into the world. You know, like you're, you're, you can find your voice that way. You mm -hmm. can find like a groove. And yeah. then when you're ready, then you can start putting yes. stuff out in the public. That's a smart approach. Well, it came from, uh, it, well, you know, I think that it, it came from two places. One was uh, a place of fear. And then the other one was just a place of wanting to protect what I was doing and have it be mine. Mm -hmm. So the fear piece was like, I, tr I swear to you, the thought that went through my head was like, ooh, I don't want like someone from high school to like see it and then send it to someone and be like, look at what Alexis Gay is doing. Cause that's mm -hmm. definitely how people I went to high school would say my name. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, I don't want that. Um, and I don't really, I'm not looking for feedback, to be totally honest, right? Because mm -hmm. to me, success was getting the video done and published. The mm -hmm. success was not, is this hysterical? Right, or right. is this a bunch of views? Right. Um, and what happened over time was I became more and more aware that this thing I was afraid of, like people judging me, that person from high school or the person you used to work with or whatever, I was like, Oh, anyone who would judge someone else for trying something new, creating something, stepping out of their comfort zone, I actually don't really need that person's opinion. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't ha hold any weight with me. And slowly over time, what happened was I had more very supportive friends who said, oh, I want to follow that account. I want to see what you're doing. And then slowly I got more confident because they would say like, this is great or, you know, keep going. <laughs> and then over time, I became comfortable telling strangers. And then more people asked to follow it. And I was like, okay, sure. And then I made it public. And that is the, that's what my account is now. Wow. I just eventually grew it over time. It started from zero and I just started opening it up more and more and uh, letting people in. And then once I let people in and I realized that I, the thing I was afraid of didn't exist, you know, it was mm -hmm. totally fine. And that, but it was definitely a process. I was not immediately like, woo, here I am world, check it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, that can be uh, scary in itself because, you know, if you're trying to build a fan base and then you just put it out there in this really professional, like, look at me world, well, you're not, it's not going to blow up immediately. Yeah. I mean, um, Conan's podcast can blow up immediately because he's Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, you know, the idea of like blowing up, I think that's such an interesting, I think that's such an interesting concept, especially now on the internet, which mm -hmm. you can have, you know, viral hits that mm -hmm. do like blow, blow people up. And in, in some ways, I think I have, all, I've benefited from the algorithms saying, hey, everyone, look at this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to really make of it. I mean, I personally, for this podcast and for my newsletter, and um, for any endeavors that I have coming up, I would like to get at a place where it gets me an agent. And, mm, okay. you know, gets if I can get more Patreon mm -hmm. uh, patrons, yeah, that would be great. 
Yeah. But um, I'm not really, I mean, I want to have success, but mm-hmm. as an actor and mm-hmm. as a, mm-hmm. and I do want to produce things and put things yeah. out there, yeah. but I, I don't really want to um, just get a check mark just for the sake of having yes, a check mark. Totally. You know, I, I, if, I mean, I'm not really focused on that other than the benefits that can come from having a check mark. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess. Um, I know that so it, like, you know, if, if I have a certain amount of subscribers on YouTube, I can control the link and the name and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I can get a custom link. But I mean, you know, the whole like, oh, I want to have 50 million followers yep. on Instagram yep. is not to me, that's blowing up and that's. Mm. I'm not as interested in necessarily. I, I totally understand. So it sounds like you have a pretty clear goal of like what some of these uh, projects are working towards, which mm-hmm. I think is great because then you can decide for yourself what is successful. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not going by someone else's definition of success, which is something that I really relate to because from the very beginning, success was not getting a million views, becoming super well-known, whatever. Success was literally did my boyfriend and my best friend see that I posted a video today? That was success. <laughs> my best friend would literally text me at 5 p.m. and she'd be like, where's my video? And I was uh, like, I love you so much. You know what I mean? Sweet. Like, she's definitely my biggest, still to this day. I mean, we've been friends for 20 years, but she's like my biggest supporter, number one fan, like quotes my videos to me. I don't know. She's just the best. That's very cute. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I love and I find a lot of power in operating by my own definition of success. And it sounds yeah. like you're doing that too, which can, can make the projects fulfilling just for the sake of doing them instead right. of for the sake of, well, how, then how many people saw it? Right. I mean, this podcast is not blown up, um, mm-hmm. but it has grown this year. And I wonder if that has That's to awesome. do with the pandemic because more people are at home. I'm listening to podcasts less because I'm not commuting. But um, <laughs> yeah, if, if your listenership has grown during shelter in place, that's actually very impressive because podcast listener, listenership overall is down. Well, yeah, I, I don't know really what happened. I just noticed that it's gone up and I thought, well, that's nice. I've been doing this yeah. for four years, over four mm-hmm. years now. And I think if I was just saying, like, I've got to have X amount of people uh, and X amount of downloads yeah. a week, then it I wouldn't still be doing it because, totally. you know, when you don't hit the benchmark, then you mm. just think, like, well, that was a failure. I'll stop, you know, or or whatever. Yes. But doing it is the, is the thing that I want to do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> not, not getting something uh, that looks cool to other people. Uh, I want to make this thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I've been so consistent and, with it. And I think that uh, to to add to that, you know, what you've achieved and what you continue to achieve is growth. And I look at that as a definition of success for me. I'm like, well, am I growing? Meaning are more people saying, oh, yeah, I want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Now, the pace of growth, I think, is where it's important to kind of be realistic. Right. Because if we say something like, I want to have... 50,000 Instagram followers by the end of this year. And that's the goal. You actually don't have like that much control over hitting 50,000. But what you do have control over is like, am I creating something regularly? Am I posting at least something once a week? And every week, am I growing by a little bit? Like, am I growing by 0.1%? Awesome. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's such Um, a good point. Yeah. One of the ways that I stay motivated is by 
recognizing the growth and saying like, well, first of all, at the end of the day, no matter what, I can always look at the things I've done and say, you know what, this follower count across everything used to be zero. So the fact that it's not zero, hell yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's as simple as that. I'm so humbled that anyone wants to watch or listen to anything that I do. It, it's like it tr- humbling is truly the word. Like, and that's always how I felt as a performer as well to be able, cause I started very young. Like, you know, I was obsessed with acting like on stage and then you do the camps and, um, to be the, the opportunity to be on stage, the privilege that, you know, a hundred people or 50 people or five people sat down and are spending their time with you is like a true gift. And that's how I feel online too. The fact that anyone has clicked a button and said, yeah, I want more of this. It's like, what a gift. So I feel very motivated by that. And then quantitatively, because as you might be able to tell, my brain is split right down the middle. It's like creative, a business. Um, it's just acknowledging that quantitatively speaking, as long as we're growing, we're good. And sometimes that's literally 0.1%. And sometimes something wild happens and it's by 5%, which by the way is a big jump. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that sometimes people get discouraged because they set these big ass goals and they're like a million. (laughs) It's like, okay, first of all, a million is so many people. (laughs) Like it's just so many people. But second of all, like it might take you five years to get there. Are you cool with that? Are you going to be happy at every step? Are you going to be happy at 10,000, 15,000? Cause that's the road you're walking. Right. And so that's why I try not to hold myself to these like I want to hit a certain number of things because like I still have to live my life and be happy on the pursuit of that. That's such a good point that you you do have to live your life and you do want to be happy as you live that life. And if you are not hitting an arbitrary goal and mm-hmm. every person, especially in America, does this in some way, you know, yeah. whether it's they have a ring on their finger or the yeah. 2.5 kids or the white picket fence, like mm-hmm. however they do it. There's so many different ways that people mm-hmm. do this, but they have an arbitrary goal that they didn't get from within themselves. They got from mm. the way culture is, or, mm-hmm. well, it's just really just the way culture is, because celebrityism yeah. <laughs> is still a part of what, it's still a, it's still born of our, our culture. Yeah. And we see someone get be really famous, and so you're like, oh, I want that. But that mm. is so, like, out of your control. And you're right. Yeah. What you put out is what you can control, but you can't control how many people are going to take to that or even really see it? I mean, you can you can promote yourself, but it doesn't yep. necessarily mean that that's going to work right away. It just doesn't yeah. always work right away. I, I've seen so many. There, there are musicians, there are guitarists that I I pay. I, I love guitar, so mm. <laughs> I, I pay a lot of attention to it on Instagram. I'm just yeah. watching a lot of people play guitar. And there are people who are great who don't have as many followers as somebody who is not as good. Mm. And it's just like, for whatever reason, yeah. that person who's not as good has more, has way more followers. Yeah. But, you know, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles. It's definitely an interesting moment when we have a quantitative way to dis like a public quantitative way that tells us quote how good somebody is right and even though we know in our hearts having um, fifty thousand followers does not make someone a better comedian than someone who has five thousand I feel like it's really hard to not see the difference in those two numbers and not draw some conclusion from it mm-hmm. about the work that's being put out by both individuals mm-hmm. but the reality is that someone might be a really incredible. Um, 
a really incredible standup that doesn't invest any time in in digital presence. And, you know, that could be the explanation compared to someone that like primarily creates online content. And I think it's just really hard not to to draw some conclusions from the difference in those two two numbers. And I think that this is kind of the first time we've had that um, at our fingertips in society, you know, in the last like we're saying last 10 years or so. Yeah. And it's all just it just there's so many different factors. It's just not worth comparing yourselves to others because oh my God, 100%. so many factors. I mean, I, I love Jerry Seinfeld. He's one of my favorite comics. Um, I saw the other day and I don't know how true it is, but I saw that he was worth nine hundred and fifty million dollars. Oh, my God. That's a lot of money. It's <laughs> <laughs> insane. And yeah. then you'll see someone else who you, you can think they're as great. Someone yeah. might think is even better than Jerry Seinfeld. They're not worth $950. Sure. I don't think there's any stand-up who is worth that much uh, yeah. other than him, right? Um, it's like him and a beetle is worth that. Right. You know, I just don't know who, who else would be worth that in, in the entertainment world. But nevertheless, so much of that is because he had this hit show in the 90s when yeah. having – it was it was more common. It was easier to get forty million viewers for your show, for oh, your yeah. TV show, than it is now. So it's just something that could get sold at a higher rate. Sold and syndicated. Exactly, and you know there are all these factors. You just can't compare things. You know, it just it's just how it is. Have you ever heard the expression "comparison is the thief of joy"? I haven't, but I like that. I love it. I know it's simple, but it's. So true. And it's not to say I'm immune from comparison. Of course, I'm not. I just when I find myself doing it, I try to remember that, you know, and then also uh, leaning into my the tech side. I remember I, I don't I don't think I'm like quoting someone. Maybe I'm paraphrasing them. There's just a lot of like idolatry in tech. Yeah. You know, I want to be the next Steve Jobs is something you hear a lot or you heard a lot, especially in the lot, you know, a few years ago. And um you know, I think I heard at least at some point along the way, someone be like, instead of trying to be the next somebody else, just try to be like the first you. Yeah, I love that. And too. I was yeah. like, yeah, that just really stuck with me because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like never going to be better at someone else's game. Like, I'm right. never going to be better at someone else's shtick. Right. I'm, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. But if I can like lean into myself, I feel like I can figure out what my voice sounds like and then do everything I can to be like the best, like literally the best Alexis Gay there ever was, like number one Alexis Gay, you know? And so I think that's kind of my North Star, which can be a little bit, it's very fun to figure out. It can be a little complicated for me sometimes because of this duality of business mm-hmm. and creativity. I mm-hmm. find, I, I, you're, you're, we're talking in a moment where I'm currently figuring out how much of both sides I want to bring into both sides. How much of the comedy right. do I want to bring into business? How much of the business do I want to bring into comedy? And how much do I then show online? So right. it's a very interesting time. It is. That was something that I was kind of curious about hmm. because there are people who have their business world and they use comedy to help propel their business endeavors Mm -hmm. yeah or to you know be a their online presence like a friend of mine who's been on the podcast dr andy rourke he's a vet and he's Mm -hmm. got a a large online following and he's been using comedy to present information Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. having a pet yeah and um or helping other vets 
Yeah. And it's brilliant and it's great. Um, but of course, someone could also just say, well, I want to be a vet during the day and a comedian at night and they yep. keep them separate. Um, but it is it is an interesting sort of duality to have. Yes. And have you, do you think you've landed on what approach you want to take? <laughs> Good question. I think it's in flux. I really do. I think, um, you know, my relationship to both has evolved over the last uh, seven years, you know, from the time of joining that tech startup where I really felt in my heart, I'm not going to tell anybody that I used to act. And I didn't. And it was a secret. I remember like confiding in my coworker. I was like, oh, well, don't, you know, don't mention it to anybody, but I used to be an actress. And they were like, cool. I was like, like what? And I thought it was this like reveal because I was afraid of being found out as an artsy person, as somebody who would maybe then be perceived as irrational, emotional, not smart, you know, all the worst. I, I could only focus on like, oh, they're going to think all these bad things about me. Mm-hmm. And then when I took time off between that later tech job and Patreon, I went fully into the creative space because I wanted to know what it would feel like. I was like, all right, what if I just put all business and tech aside and I just made these videos? Hence that really intense 30 day project. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that felt that felt really good, but I kind of missed doing business. I just did for whatever reason. I was like, I really love creating something out of nothing from a business standpoint. It, it just is a fun puzzle for me. I at the time I was doing partnerships and business development, which is truly creating something out of nothing because you build relationships with people, you figure out what both sides need, and then you together come up with it and put it into action, which is tremendously fun. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, now working at Patreon, I'm able to actually look at the creative experience that I've had and my passions as an asset to my role. Right. Because I'm our, I do, uh, I manage two teams. I manage business operations and creator partnerships. Mm-hmm. And creator partnerships is the team that works with creators to help them launch on Patreon successfully. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so instead of this artsy weirdo creative side being a detractor, from my professional, I'm putting this in air quotes, I know it's a podcast, but just everyone knows <laughs> putting in air quotes. <laughs> my professional life, it's actually a huge value add to have the manager of this team not only understand the creator perspective, but to actually have lived the creator perspective. Right. And that was a big tonal shift for me a few years ago was saying, I'm deciding this is a negative. I can decide this is actually a positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what I've been leaning into for the last few years, and I've really enjoyed it. And then I will say where I go next is certainly something I'm I'm thinking about. You know, that balance is always sort of in flux for me, and I'm, I'm sort of excited to see how this um, scroll continues to unfurl. I feel like I've got the scroll on the desk. It's slowly unfurling. I'm just kind of sitting with it, seeing what happens next. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. And I, I was actually thinking it must be – helpful to work at your job because you know what it's like to be out there putting content out Mm -hmm. and how you could be benefited by a partnership at Patreon. Absolutely. It's super helpful on both sides. Actually, it's, you know, really helpful to be able to, yeah, talk with creators or advise people on my team about how to work uh, credibly with creators. And then also it's helpful as a creative because I'm, I learn tips and tricks. I just see what other people do and I'm like, oh, nice. Okay, let me try something like that. You know, just by being exposed to creating stuff online by like people at the top of their game doing it. 
you can learn so much just by looking around, you know, and as part of my job, I have to. So that's a benefit for sure. Right. Just to shift gears here, we didn't talk about when you started in comedy. You yeah. were, um, you mentioned that you studied improv. Where did you study? I studied improv in San Francisco at Endgames Improv, which is in the Mission District. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, when did you start saying, well, um, did you do some sketch work as well? I've done, yeah, I've done a very little amount of sketch. I did several years of improv and then stand up for about a year and a half. And then the pandemic hit and now mm-hmm. no one's doing stand up. Actually, that's not true. There are some really, really cool shows happening that are being safe and doing stuff outside. Yeah. Um, but they're not a ton of those. No. And also there's no, I haven't really found though, you know, I haven't like been actively looking around, but I haven't found a lot of like open mic opportunities, which is, I think honestly what I would need to get my sea legs back. You know, I don't think I would feel comfortable to just like go do a show right now. Maybe I could get my friends to sit outside and do a pre-show and be like, am I still funny? Like, we need to assess. Please fill out this scorecard. It could be like when you started your Instagram. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, got to get my best friend. Got to call up that ex-boyfriend. Be like, we're getting the band back together, dude. I need help. That's funny. Uh, yeah, when, so did, I, you, yeah. did you do any comedy related stuff in college or did you did you take an improv class then by any chance didn't do any comedy but I grew up as I mentioned I grew up acting and so I would you know at times find myself playing comedic roles or comedic uh in comedic pieces pieces that sounds (laughs) 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 what I think these I mean like student films and like homework (laughs) for tish kids at NYU Mm -hmm. um Uh, and I, you know, I'd, there'd be some comedy, but I was never like, I want to be a comedian. I'd say the only time I really flirted with the idea intensely was reading Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pants. Tina Fey is a huge hero of mine. And that's Uh only become increasingly true as I've continued to do more comedy, um, and also like get older and learn more about the industry and learn how just like how much cool stuff she's done. But I remember reading that book in college and for a second being like, I might want to be a comedian. Is that, should I? And then I was like, no, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, Mm. you know, immediately saying like, that's not for me. You know, all those things you tell yourself, I just immediately accepted. Yeah. I mean, when I was a little kid wanting to be a comedian and even people would say like, you should be a comedian. Mm. But I, I, for some reason got in my head and was like, oh, to be a comic, you have to have a, like a shtick, like Robin Williams has a clear thing mm, mm-hmm. or like so-and-so has a clear thing. And I don't have that. And that was yeah. just me as like a 13-year-old talking myself yeah. out of it. And totally. so I didn't think about doing – I mean, I wanted to do funny things, but I didn't think about performing comedy until I was like well out of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so the, I, I was kind of a late bloomer with respect yeah. to that. Um, but Tina Fey's also a hero of mine. One of my, she's oh my one God. of my heroes. Well, that's well. how we connected, right? Because yeah. you published something about her in your newsletter, and that was the thing I responded to. And I was like, I really needed to read this today. Oh, I'm so this glad. This was awesome. I didn't know what specific thing it was in that that uh, you did. That, I, yeah, I've I've used some things, and I still I think I've bookmarked a couple more Tina Fey related things to mm. to put in the newsletter. So thanks nice. so I much for. Wait supporting and taking in the, the newsletter. I, I 
when I saw that, because I didn't, I don't necessarily see all of the names of people. Mm -hmm. And so when I got that email, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> um, she's a, isn't she kind of a big deal? Uh, so, oh, yeah, huge deal. That's what everybody's <laughs> saying. Big, massive deal. <laughs> well, compared to me. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> like you got a ton of followers and, and you've got, you know, I feel like you've had this tangible success in, in mm. uh, this world that we're in of uh, creating yeah. things and putting it out there on social media. And I, and I uh, am aiming for that kind of success that we were talking yeah, about before. Totally. How to uh, put something out there that, I mean, that's the thing I've always said is that I want to work on things uh, and make a living from working on things that I admire, the sort of things yeah. that I want to be a part of. So mm. it's never really about like the fame that people will chase. I'm like, totally. hey, if nobody knew who I was, but I was on a show or in a movie mm -hmm. or putting out content that I just like is the type of yep. stuff that I enjoy. That's all I need. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need anyone. To, I don't want anyone to uh, know who I am necessarily when I'm walking around. I want to sure. keep my anonymity there. Well, then it sounds like you're doing that. Right. You've got this newsletter. You've got the podcast like you're putting that kind of stuff out there already. Yeah. And I'm I have uh, more goals and more things that I want to put out. I want to, uh, you know, I want to continue to grow and progress uh, as totally. a comedian. Um, so it's uh, and I'm at this wonderful theater at the Magnet. And I'm, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I've been on a house team there for a couple of years, which has been a dream come true. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm in a pretty good spot as far as doing cool things. I'm getting to yeah. do cool things with amazing people. And, you know, you really can't ask for a whole lot more than that. Seriously, I miss working with people so much. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Everything I do, almost everything I do is comedy-wise alone. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. of the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I have a couple friends who I've started writing with more and working on some cool stuff. And that's been really nice. And um, you know, I actually have also, uh, been reaching out to people who I maybe like kind of know and just being like, you want to chat? <laughs> like you want to <laughs> just talk about stuff because that's been a way for me to try to stay connected. But truly like 99% of what I've published online is just like me alone in my apartment. <laughs> 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 it sounded sad when I said it, <laughs> <laughs> but that's everybody right now. I know it's true. It it's true. Well, I could talk to you forever. You're great. We could find out more Capricorn ways that we relate, but it is yes. time to create something together. Oh, I can't wait. Hell yeah. I was just saying this is what I wanted. Creating things <laughs> with cool people. Here right. we go. You made my dream come true. Oh, well, awesome. So I don't know exactly what that could be. Maybe you have a great idea. One idea I have is to get tips on, because I don't think I've used, pa I have a Patreon but I don't mm -hmm. think I use it correctly. Yep. <laughs> and I've I'm I've all, I've sort of read about things, but I just don't know the best approach. So maybe you can offer some tips or advice to totally. myself and people, or we could, if you have a, another idea, we can maybe run with that. Uh, which would you prefer? I'm more than happy to provide. Uh, I can do just like a couple quick tips on things that I think everyone should keep in mind for sure. And okay. then, yeah, happy to follow your lead if you want to do do something else on top of that. But when it comes to 
running a membership business for creative work, the things that I would recommend are um, first taking a bit of an audit of what it is that your fans really love about what you're creating. So what is it that keeps people coming back week after week and try to identify um, how you can then like do more of that thing. Mm -hmm. So if what is really keeping them coming back to your podcast is that they love, um, they love, uh, the topic that you're talking about, then like, how can you create some extra content about the topic? If what they really love is your personality, they would hear anything from you. It's just all about listening to you. Maybe a live stream is a good option. And these are things that can be very, very low cost. It doesn't have to be flashy and it doesn't have to take a lot of time, but getting to know your audience and figuring out like what's drawing them in right now. And then what are sort of like the tangential little offshoots of that, that is going to be a great thing to create as a benefit. The other thing I'd say to a lot of people is to position it as a membership and an offering instead of, Hey, if you want to help out, Hey, you know, any little thing helps which diminishes the value that you as a creative are putting out there. And I totally, like I said, I get why people go in that direction. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I think that it gives you a little bit more power and leverage when you're saying, here's what I'm creating and this is what it costs. And like I said, another thing, I would not recommend anyone shove everything they've ever made behind a paywall. I think you want to keep creating and putting things out there so you can find an audience. And Mm -hmm. it's only going to be a very small percentage of folks that convert to patrons anyway. So it, that's totally okay. Um, but then by, ha- by kind of putting your stake in the ground and it's like, this is how much it costs, those fans that are really stoked to hear more from you are going to want to pay that in the same way that you would never like sell a shirt and be like, hey, if you want to buy this shirt, I mean, you know, it's just a doll, any little piece of this shirt you buy helps. It's like, <laughs> here's a shirt, it's $20. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a much stronger position to come from as a creative, mm-hmm. somebody who's truly putting valuable stuff out there. Um, and, oh, yeah, the other thing is I was, don't be afraid to change it. Like a membership, it can be a flexible thing. We typically recommend creators revamp their tiers every six months or so. You can oh. check in, see how things are going. I know it can feel like, okay, I'm going to set it up once, and this is how it's going to look forever. But it's totally fine. You can change it. Just, like, communicate with your patrons, tell them what's up. Yeah, okay. those are those are the off my head quick tips. I I'm trying to so for work I often like give presentations on this topic at conferences and stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> what do my slides say? <laughs> that all of that is really resonating with with me, especially just putting a a number on it. You know, like it's so totally. true to say, all right, I'm putting this thing out. This is what it costs. Yeah, uh, that really is. I think people feel icky sometimes doing that, but I don't think they should. I think, you know, you're, you're still asking for money either way. So just say, what is it worth to you? I mean, that's what you're defining here is what you Mm -hmm. think the value of it is. So it's fine to just take control and say, this is what it is. It's, I think the reason that, um, some, some artists struggle with it in a way that they don't struggle to maybe price a show Right. Like if you were trying to do a show for your house team or something and you were in charge of the ticketing, you might say, "Okay, tickets are going to be 20 bucks each because it's a 100 seat theater. And we had to put a seven hundred fifty dollar deposit down on the venue. So if we charge this much and we sell 60 percent, we'll earn X. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that might be your thought process if you're Mm -hmm. selling selling a live show. But for some reason, when it's our time. And it's our resources and it's our work where we just diminish the value at every step that we can. And we're like, yeah, but it was just me spending six hours 
hours doing this thing. It's like, it took you six hours. And not only did it take you six hours, it maybe took you six years to learn and build the skills that enabled you to do it in six hours. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a ton of value that your time has that we're not crediting when we try to price things because we're like, oh, it'll just take me, you know, this will just take me a minute. Whereas, like I said, when we've got the venue, when we've got our teammates, when we've got a seat count, it's so much easier for us to say, oh, yeah, this should be 25 bucks. That's such great advice. And I'm very thankful that you shared that with people. Of course. Yeah. So I do want to create a little something, a little fun something. Ooh, love a fun something. Um, when you come up with videos, what mm-hmm. is your approach? Um, maybe we can demonstrate that and and come up with an idea together. I would love that because I uh, when I so I, I come up with ideas in a couple ways. Um, One is that I try to write every morning. I try to just do like a free write morning pages style, you know, stream of consciousness, write. And yeah, I know I'm the only one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am am the only one who has not read it. (laughs) I full disclosure. I've read the first two chapters, but hear me out. They were great. Okay. I've heard nothing but great things about the book. And uh, even just a few chapters in, I've heard people just rave about it really good. I actually would like to return to it and do the whole proper workshop. Um, right now I'm reading Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which is another book uh, that discusses an approach to writing. But anyway, so I try to write in the mornings and I, I try to notice when I'm like coming back to the same like set of words or ideas in either my writing, but I'd say even more so what I'm saying out loud like hearing myself talk. What are some things I'm saying again and again? And that's where a lot of my video concepts have been born because I spend a lot of time, especially for work on Zoom, talking to people, and I will just hear myself saying the same few sentences. And once I hear that, I'm like, why is that happening? And that's where I've been able to realize like, oh yeah, it's because we're all like in these same situations. So like working from home, Mm -hmm. there's just like this soundboard of stuff I would say related to working from home. And I'm just like, oh my God. So that became a video or with um, when people ask, uh, how I'm doing, which is a video I published recently, I literally have been saying the same words over and over again. And I thought that was so funny because it's like, does this even mean anything anymore? Like, I mean, here's what I'm saying. I, and so I, I made that a video when I'm really stuck though, to be honest, like those are things that just sort of evolved naturally. It's like, I'm hearing myself say these words over and over again. I bet that means other people are saying them. I bet that means I can make it, make it funny because to me, of course, the truest stuff is always like the funniest, mm-hmm. but sometimes I don't have the benefit of that. And I have to come up with something out of nothing. And that's why the writing is important because I will just sit down and write, and then I'll try to come up with ideas. And the hardest part of idea generation for me is saying it's totally fine. If like nine out of 10 of these ideas are terrible. Yeah. Like that's the hardest part, right? Because mm-hmm. you can come up with ideas left and right. It's not that hard. A video, a video about doing a podcast interview. And then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, is all right, interesting. What's like the next step from that? Then it's like, okay, what about, ooh, video is doing like a job interview. Then I could do like every job interview. <laughs> I could make yeah. it more specific. I could do every tech job interview. I could do um, every interview in New York. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. so I start, yeah. okay, I just sort of say like, well, what are some other angles I could take here? Every interview in my 20s. Okay. Every interview, you know what I mean? Like, what are some other, what other roads could we go down? And then I kind of think of it like that. And then I write all that down. And then 
some of them are just so bad that it's funny and some of them are so okay that it's funny. I usually pick the ones that are okay. <laughs> well, yeah. here's the idea I have because okay, tell me. a number of days this week, even so you see I'm wearing this button down, but yep. uh, this white shirt is just mm-hmm. uh, a workout shirt that I have yep. um, because I've put on workout clothes several days this week. Sure. Didn't work out at yep. all this week. Um, of course. Which I'm sure it's been a lot of people. Oh, I have a lot of yoga pants. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you did air quotes again. <laughs> More air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Around yoga. Um, so maybe that could be something that we can find an angle on. Love that. Okay. So putting on workout clothes and then not working out. Right. Um, maybe it could be uh, like, what if it's like a spoof commercial of clothes you can wear uh workout clothes you can wear when you're not working out love that okay so what if it's like clothes that look like you just worked out like what if it's clothes that come like pre sweat stained (laughs) or like pre a little baggier so that people when you're going to talk to them on zoom or whatever like they think you just put in a really hard workout (laughs) i love that i like that and uh uh, or or even like, yeah, so then you could talk about the benefits of it. There's On the Zoom, totally. look, people are giving you compliments. Uh, you, you see yourself in the shower or in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the mirror and you go like, yeah. oh, yeah, I put in a good workout. <laughs> like it makes Love you that. think. And it's an infomercial. So if it's like if you buy before the end of the infomercial, we'll include this spray bottle you can use to spray your face. Make it look like you've just been sweating, but only you have to act fast. Act now, and we'll include. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh, there it is. I love that. That's really funny. That. Wow, fun. we did it. We did it. See, <laughs> talking to people is great. It is. <laughs> it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You honor Jason. I really appreciate you having me. I really appreciated having her. She was a delight. And you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Yay Alexis Gay. Great handle. You can check out her funny videos and jokes on there. And, of course, we have links in bio for those. Also, we have a link in the bio for the New South Comedy Festival, which I mentioned at the top of the show. And she was very sweet to mention the newsletter. You, too, can subscribe to it just like she does. It's free, and it goes out on Mondays. It's a comedy lifestyle newsletter with lots of great tips and suggestions from experts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at There It Is Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 